0: This is the Jocko Underground podcast number 13 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. All right. So I was in a house in Iraq in my first deployment to Iraq. So 2000, this was either 2003 or 2004. And it was a small farmhouse out in the middle of nowhere. I forget the full background of the scenario but it was something like one of the elder sons of this particular family had been mixed up in some kind of insurgent operation so we're out there looking for this kid and by kid I mean you know 25 year old military age male we raid this house looking for this this military age male and we get the building cleared and the guy wasn't there but you know his family was there and so we've got the interpreter and the interpreter's kind of talking to the family, and there's some kids there, and so the guys are giving some, you know, candy to the kids and this kind of stuff, looking around. The the house was basically one big room. Basically one big room. And there was mattresses on the floor in one of the corners. This is real common over there for some of the people on the lower end of the uh, economic Spectrum they, they would just sleep with mattresses on the floor and they'd have blankets and mattresses kind of piled up And that's where the family would eat. So that was in kind of one corner. And then there was a table for eating With a couple chairs around you know, a few chairs around it, you know four or five chairs around this table and then there was another table next to it uh, That was sort of I guess it would be considered the counter space of a kitchen and then there was a, a sink with a with a water faucet right so it was there was some form of running water and a, a sink of some kind you know it's just picture like an old school kind of porcelain thing all pretty old-fashioned sink but is working and then in between the table where the kind of counter table where they would prepare food and the table where they would eat and those were separated by call it six feet, five feet, six feet, there was a slit trench to go to the bathroom in. Now, okay, so what's a slit trench? So what this is, this is a a little ditch, probably about six inches wide, maybe eight inches wide, probably about six inches deep, about two or three feet long, and it's perpendicular to the wall, and then when it gets to the wall, there's a hole through the wall, and out the hole is a big, a big pit, and it's a sewage pit. They're, actually, these are pretty common in Iraq. Uh, they're we we call, I don't know what they're called. We called them, we called them shit pits because they were just big pits that were filled with sewage, kind of like almost an above ground septic tank, right? You go to the bathroom in there and over time I guess maybe it goes away. I'm not 100% sure. But there's this trench. There's there's no running water down this trench. This is just in the concrete. In this concrete floor. And it didn't really have too much of an angle to it. I mean at least not enough of an angle because most of the most of the excrement and urine was or, or I shouldn't say most. There was a bunch of excrement and urine in this slit trench, and I remember sitting there thinking about this. How just thinking how must how messed up this is, right? This is this is messed up. I, here were these people. And they were just normal people. I mean, sure, they had a son that had been rogue, right? It'd be like if your kid, your son, got wrapped up in some gang, and all of a sudden the cops try and come and find him at your house, and you're looking around, going, "Wait a second, we're just normal." That, that's who this family was. They were, they were just kind of normal. <laughs> My interpreter was having a good conversation with them, and the, you know, he was kind of asking what their background was. When's the last time you saw your son and stuff like that. But it was also, you know, what do you do here? And they were farmers and they lived there for a long time. You know, we're trying to figure out, do you have any other houses where your son could be? They're like, no, we don't have any other houses. This is where we live. This mm-hmm. is our farm. This is what we do. They had, they had actually money. They had you know, a couple, I think they had an Opal and then a, they had a couple, like a car and a truck. So they, they're able to get around they're obviously make money. You got to get gas and stuff like this. So they have. This is this is a family that's kind of put. They've got some things going for them,
1: mm.
0: right? They got a business. They got vehicles. They got housing. And yet, with all that, they have this this slit trench of shit that divides their basically their kitchen and their dining room. And, and now, listen it. it it's, it's in these types of rural areas, when you get out into these rural areas of Iraq, there's it's pretty common that they wouldn't, they may or may not have running water, right? They may, may or may not have pl- plumbing. But this, this level of kind of unsanitary conditions was not something that I saw very often. Most of the places, most of the farms, look, when you're in Baghdad and stuff, they have toilets and everything else, no factor. But you get out to the, the rural places, they would have like an outhouse or something, right? I mean, it's you got to deal with it, right? You gotta deal with it. So they'd have an outhouse or they'd have a separate room in the house, they'd kind of box something in, and then there'd be a slit trench in there. But they'd have some way of making the consistent human issue of waste, they would have a way of making it either sanitary or somehow acceptable, right? They they would figure it out. And this family was didn't do that. Again, this is normal. These are people that I'm thinking, wow, this was what was so mind-boggling to me. It wasn't like these people were the inbred, you know, whatever. It wasn't like they were, they were some stereotypical people that couldn't understand. They were normal people. So it, wasn't, it also wasn't like this family had just arrived, right? Because the interpreter's talking to them. They'd been there for a while. I mean, look—if you showed up at a place, if you—if you moved in three days ago and you haven't got a chance to figure this out yet, you know, okay, I get it. Right, mm-hmm. it takes a little time. But this was their actual home where they'd been, and they'd been there for a long time. For, I mean, I'm assuming maybe a couple of generations, may, but at least, at least many years, many many years, and they still hadn't like remedied this problem. so if you look at the other side of, well, not the other side, but for us in the U.S. military, all the times, and the SEAL teams included, we would go and we would move into old buildings. We'd move into old buildings that were... Um, you know, former, whatever, former regime elements or whatever. We'd move into buildings, we'd take them over. Maybe they are just hangers, right? Whatever, we'd move into buildings, we'd take them over. And as soon as we'd move in somewhere, we'd start like doing a reorg and fixing stuff and rebuilding things and retrofitting (laughs) whatever we could to make these things more livable. We'd do that almost instantly. And yet here was this situation where no, no move had been made to improve the scenario. And, and look, I'm talking about a place in Iraq, but you, this happens in America, right? You go watch, a, go watch a, a, an episode of Cops, right? And you see and you look at well, what's going on here. Hmm. Well, there's a bunch of little things that could be you know, squared away in this particular situation. Why, why is this like this? And the reason that I'm saying this is because it kind of left a mark on me. It's something that I it's something that I that left a mark on me in two ways. the first way that it left a mark on me is I thought to myself, well, maybe they, maybe they maybe these people, for whatever reason, just didn't understand the situation. Maybe this was just what was normal for them. You know, if you this is how you were raised, this is what we do, this is how it works. But, but, but I actually don't even believe that because what, what makes that hard to accept, what makes that hard to accept is that there's shit in your kitchen. That's what makes it hard to accept, right? There's different, Hey, you get raised in a certain cultural way or you get raised by a family that whatever they're doing and that's what you understand the reality to be. And that's how you grow. That's how you grow up. And you think that's, that's the way it is. But you don't really, you don't really need to get taught that, that you know, having, a, having a, a, a trench to go to the bathroom in, in your kitchen, you don't need to get, no one needs to tell you that's, uh, that's unsanitary. No one needs to tell you that. No one needs to tell you it's not hyg- hygienic to do that, right? You don't need to get told that. It, it reeks. It smells bad. And so you look at it and you go, you know what? This smells really bad. I'm going to do something different. We're going to make a change here. Mm-hmm. That's what we're going to do. We're going to make a change here. This, this system of sewage disposal could use some improvement. I'm going to try something else. And then you do it. You try something else. You, 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 I, I don't know what it is. Maybe you build a room around it. Maybe you move that thing outside. There's a bunch of different things you can try. But that, but so that's the other mark that got left on me is if something stinks, then fix it. If something stinks in your life, if there's something wrong, then fix it. Now, look, I get that there's things that, there's some things in life that we can't fix. Right? You can get a disease. You can have acts of God unfold upon you with no mercy. And there's, you, you, well, then what you do is you, you face those things and you take ownership of how you respond to those horrible events when they happen. But oftentimes there's things in our lives that stink. And we can actually do something about it. We can actually do something about it. So when I see something in my life, when I see something in my life that needs to get fixed, I, 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 might, I might blow it off once and go, oh, you know, no big deal. Yeah. And then I think, what am I doing, what am I doing with this reeking piece of exc- excrement that is stinking up my whole life, why am I letting it happen? Why am I doing that? And then that smacks me in the face and I go take action. So the next thing you see, next time you see that little thing in your life that's, that you know is not right, you know it stinks, fix it. Don't let it stink up your whole life. Don't let it get intermingled with your food and your dinner and your breakfast and your lunch and your family. Don't let it do all that. Fix it. All right. Well, you look confused. Yeah. What's confusing?
1: (laughs) No, it's not. I'm not confused. I'm just now I'm like taking inventory of all the little things that you can. That's exactly
0: right. You know, that's (laughs) exactly. That's why that's why I want to talk about it. What you just said is it. What you just said is it, because those little things that you have in your life, those little things that you have in your life that would take you 20 minutes to fix, yeah, right? Yeah. 20 minutes to fix, and you don't do it. You let that little piece of shit sit there and stink up your whole freaking room and stink up your whole life and stink up your whole day. Yeah. There's no reason for
1: it. Yeah, and a big part of that is like, kind of got used to the, I'm thinking of some specific things, not as intense mm-hmm. as a, you know, sewage canal in my kitchen <laughs> or nothing like that. But uh, like, for example, there's this, okay, we have this Christmas tree mm-hmm. um, for we like whatever last year we got a, you know, a, an artificial Christmas tree. Lame. You think so? Yes. Yeah, so I was kind of like that, too. I was like, no, man, real Christmas, probably when I was little, I used to go up in the mountains and cut one down with my dad. I mean, when we're little, we drag that thing down the mountain. Mm -hmm. You got to hike up to it, too, by the way. Anyway, so that was a thing. That was like, cool. And then, you know, we move here, and then it's more like, okay, we'll go to, like, Home Depot or something, but it's still a real tree, you know? So it's kind of like, okay. And then... You know, my wife's introducing the idea of, a, of an artificial tree. We get it. I'm like, oh, this doesn't seem real awesome to get it. But then when we got it and how it looked and all this stuff is real convenient. Anyway, regardless, that tree, you, br- you break it down into its sections. Mm-hmm. You put it in the case or whatever. And then in our garage up top, there's mm-hmm. like a storage space on the top yep. of the garage. right? But you got to bust out the ladder and you got to get another person to kind of help you because that thing is big. We're talking 12 minutes of work. Not even. Well, Probably like, yeah. So where's the Christmas tree right now at this moment? It's in the garage. Where? Like on the the floor, Jerry? Nope. On the floor. there it is. You
0: you just nailed this metaphor. That's it.
1: Exactly. Right. So, and the thing is and there's other stuff in the garage which kind of fit that same situation where it's like, hey, just take five minutes. It would probably take like 20 minutes total. And now we have a whole nother, you know, I can't park in the garage right now. Oh, That's the thing, but here's the thing: that's not that big of a deal. I have a big driveway, right, 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 right. All good, right? Rationalization. Exactly. <laughs> I'm used to it. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. So,
0: if I were to just invest that five minutes, maybe when I was looking at that slit trench, the guy was looking at me like, "Hey, it's not that big. No one's gotten sick yet. Exactly. It's actually right. not that big of a deal. We're kind of used to it. We're kind of used to it.
1: Yeah. So we're not tripping. We, we have a
0: big room here. Exactly. We can go over to the other side. Yeah. We don't, it's far away from where we sleep. It's at yeah. least 20 feet away from where we sleep. Why don't I, I'm not worried about it. It's true. And, and, and that, when
1: you really think about it, that's not that unreasonable. I mean, you compare it to, you're comparing it to your current house situation. So it's like, okay, that's a, that's a huge gap in as far as the comparison goes. But the thing is, it can get kind of intense when you think about it. it. just depends. So, okay. So I was I mentioned this before where, okay. When I first got my apartment,
0: mm-hmm. my own apartment, mm-hmm. So by was this in San Diego? Yeah, San Diego okay. City View, you City know where view that, is? that is downtown. Yep, anyway, yep.
1: Uh, so I get it by myself, right? Freaking,
0: you uh, should have bought it. I bet you what it'd be worth then, and what it'd be worth now. Totally different uh, yeah. ball game. Yeah, because it's all gentrified. It is. Yep.
1: Yep. Well, yeah you're right about that I was in no position to buy it and, you know but, yeah, you yeah. had to borrow money for the deposit <laughs> no, no man it was good actually it was good I had a job I saved up and and it was it was good I was, you know, it was the first time I lived alone you know yep. so I'm like I don't know I was like 23 mm.
0: 24, Dang, you know like what you just made me realize I don't think I've ever lived alone I always had a roommate oh yeah well because I was in the, in the terms we just you know like yep. you always have a bro that you're living with right. I live with a my my uh, running mate for 8 straight years. Yeah. In an apartment. So all right, you so never you're in your lived alone? No, now no, I've never had a place that was just mine. Huh. That's yeah. very strange. Yeah, okay. it's a,
1: it's a thing. I've always lived with my brother. Mm. And then until then he had it, you know, he got married and all this stuff so it's like okay, it's time. Anyway, so I get my own place, and I'm not a I'm like I'm not a like a messy person. I'm not like a clean freak, nothing like that. I'm like let's say there's a spectrum. I'm like right in the middle, I would say, balanced, maybe towards the clean side, maybe. Okay, depends on my mood. Anyway, so I got um, so in my room, uh, you know, I still worked at the nightclub, so my schedule was a little bit later. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so in my room there was no blackout curtains. There was just regular I don't know blinds or whatever. Okay, so. In the daytime, the light would still come in, even if they're closed. So I was like, oh, no, I want to sleep more. So I want blackout (laughs) curtains instead of blackout curtains, because then I got to go to the store and do all this stuff and I don't waste all that time. So I get these towels and I tape them with the tape that I had, which happened to be packing tape.
0: Okay. (laughs) So you're taking... Each one of these statements takes you closer and closer to a slit trench in your living room. But keep going.
1: Yep, exactly right. So (laughs) here's the thing. It was a little makeshift, yes. Mm -hmm. But it did the job for however. I didn't have a plan to keep there forever. It was just like, hey, maybe next week or whatever, I'll go to the wherever. Home Depot. Get some curtains. So boom, I tape it, and it works. So I'm like, cool. This is a very, very good uh, temporary solution freaking i never never got them down never got the curtains because it would always work day to day and if i'm not sleep like if i'm not waking up at 11 or whenever i would wake up and <laughs> the
0: crack of my 11.
1: my light uh coming in my room issues uh, are not being solved at that moment i don't think about that kind of stuff but i'm thinking about gonna work gonna whatever whatever else i'm doing and then it's only when, like, maybe I have a down, t- down moment and I look and I see it. And I'm like, hmm, I, could, I should get those curtains. And then you're, like, interrupted by your other thoughts. And then you're just freaking gone, <laughs> you know? So those, those <laughs> towels. The,
0: the laser-tight focus <laughs> of Echo Charles. Just saying, man, you know. You're distracted by your, you know, other your thoughts. O- other stuff. Yep. Yeah. right on. <laughs> so
1: you get that. So
0: those towels
1: stayed over my windows literally the whole time I, I lived there. So, how, m- how long was that? Uh, I don't know. A year? Could, you know, a year and a half? <laughs> For real. No Not savage. joking. Yep. People come over. Yep. They're there. You know, whatever. Um, so maybe a few months before I moved out, I looked close at it. And the packing tape apparently has, like, the e- adhesive on there. Apparently is delicious to some bugs. <laughs> because that thing like you could tell like i think they're termites maybe i don't know what they were but they were just packed in there because they'd come and try to sniff it or eat it or whatever and then they'd get stuck on the tape so now that tape that was taping the the towel to the wall had just packs of packs of dead bugs in there (laughs) so it was like literally like a frame of dead bugs and i was like whoa that's pretty gross but I don't have the time to clean that right now. I got to I gotta take it all down. Then I got to, you know, redo it. I should get the curtains. That's what I should do. But I'll, maybe I'll do it next week, you know. And it's not like every day I'm going up to that thing and looking at the bugs. It's, like, kind of far away. You know, you can't really see them that much, you know, unless you're really looking. And, and how much time do I spend really looking at that? Yeah. Very little. So th- those bugs just stayed there, man. And when I moved out. They were still there, so I remember taking it all down and being like, "Fuck, oh, this is a lot of bugs on this thing, and that's pretty gross. Like, why didn't I fix that?"
0: Because you're a savage. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Bruh, it, it seems that, but see how it happened, though. You see how it happened? It was like, "Oh, this is just a yeah, temporary yeah. fix. Oh, well, it's not really like, it's not jamming me up."
0: Yeah, but what's really crazy is even after you notice that your 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 uh, window frame was literally a graveyard of dead bugs. You're just calling it whatever.
1: Well, the thing is, I always technically had the intention of fixing it, technically. Mm. But... (laughs) <laughs> not really. You know, I don't know. I don't you, know when. That's
0: pu- you know, Sam Harris talks about how important intention is, but <laughs> intention doesn't <laughs> get the windowsills <laughs> clean, homie. No, <laughs>
1: no, it did not. But it's true. You see how that can happen, though. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Where, yeah, you kind of look around, like, I don't know. Okay, so, yeah, you have kids. So you're looking around in their room Everyone's once well, that Then again, everybody's different, I know. But mm. I have a teenage nephew. That that lives with us, and I look in his room. I'm like, hmm. I see a lot of that going on. Yeah. Where it's like, hey, if you just spent literally like 45 seconds,
0: I remember that I'd go through this with my kids, where I'd say, hey, you need to get the kitchen clean, and they would they would be, oh, well, can we just wait till whenever, right? Mm-hmm. You know, until after this, or until we Damn. get back from that, or whatever. And I'd say, but as long as you, it takes it takes four minutes to clean the kitchen. This is we're talking a four man team, right? Yeah. <laughs> Like this is, a, oh, I got yeah. four kids, Yeah. you know, how long does it take four human beings to clean a kitchen? It, it's so fast, yeah. but guess what? They, they look at it and go, well, let's just leave that slit trench over there for a little while. Let's no, yeah. so you're right. So I think it's a good metaphor. It's a good metaphor because when you put it in the perspective that those little things in your life that you're letting sit there, yeah. they're pieces of shit that are stinking up your whole life. Don't let it happen.
1: It's true, man. And, you know, Don't I, let it happen. My dad used to say stuff. lately like, have these sayings every be once soon. in a while. BC. All day. And he'd say, you know, do it and it'll be done. Mm-hmm. Right Where it's like even uh, only now that I'm like full grown adult allegedly where I can uh, really appreciate that. You know, do it and it'll be done. Because it's one of those things where like when I go home today and put that Christmas tree up, I'm going to be like. I'm gonna have this feeling on the inside, like, man, why didn't I just do that? Like you realize it's <laughs> yeah, April. True. It's April. Yeah, yeah. By I was the gonna way. say
0: you're almost to the point where you should leave it down because it's almost <laughs> it ready to put it back up again. Exactly. Which is but pretty sketch. Very yes, it's very sketch.
1: But either way, yes. So you, you'll feel that. Where it's like, Man, I should have just did this. Like why like it's almost like I put so much effort into not doing it almost kind of feeling, you know? Yeah. And then meanwhile your life is just improved. Nothing dragging you down. In all these different ways. And it applies to everything, man. Everything.
0: Everything. Check. All right. Let's get to some Q&A. What do we got?
1: At work, I'm shut down by my direct supervisor on taking initiative or even suggesting that something is not correct. On top of that, I've been told that our direct supervisor cannot let us do anything beyond the minimum basics without his checking because he can't trust us. Finding a different job is not happening at the moment, and I have no idea how to proceed beyond keeping my head down and ignoring dismissive and demeaning comments. Is there a podcast that would address any of this or something you would suggest?
0: Yeah, so this is uh, definitely have probably answered this on a bunch of times, not only on the podcast before, but look, I apologize. There are so many podcasts now that I can't say, well, just go listen to the podcast. That's 800 hours or whatever. So that's sort of why... That's sort of why I wrote the book, Leadership Strategy and Tactics, get this stuff a lot. But so, so what do we do when, when, and I'm glad you said this, you're getting micromanaged. Why are you getting micromanaged? And it literally says, because he can't trust us. Because when people say to me, oh, I'm getting micromanaged, it's horrible, my boss is horrible. What I say is, oh, your boss doesn't trust you. That's the first, that's the first assessment that you need to make. Mm. Now, is it possible that, that you have a boss that's such an egomaniac that loves themselves so much that they don't want to let you do anything because it makes them feel good to to, be the boss and say, Echo, hold on, let me show you exactly how to do that. And it makes me feel good to say that. Mm. And I don't like, it makes me feel like I'm better than you when I say, hold on, Echo, let me review that one more time to make sure that it's squared away. Oh, you actually made a little mistake here. Do you see that? Yeah. And it makes me feel good and it makes me feel above you. So there is a chance that you do are working for that kind of person. But it's but before you get to that level, you have to assume that, okay, my boss doesn't trust me because I've given my boss reasons not to trust me. So what do we do to, what we need to do is build trust. So I would start off by doing exactly what my boss is asking me to do to a T. Not saying, well, you know, I'm going to adjust a little bit because this weighs a little bit more efficient. No, no, no. I'm not doing that at all. I'm saying, oh, you want me to do A, B, C, D, and E? And that's exactly how you want me to do it? Cool. I'm going to do it exactly like that, 2A, i I'm going to deliver it. The only thing I might do is deliver it a little bit early. Right? I'm going to get it done a little bit early. I'm going to say, here you go. Here's everything. If you have any feedback, I'll, I'll get it corrected because I know it's not due until tomorrow, right? <laughs> I'm, going to yeah. do, I'm going to do it perfectly. Now, I might be slightly proactive, so I might do just a little bit a little bit more but but even that I'm going to I'm going to in the beginning I'm not even going to do more than you asked me I'm going to do exactly what you want me to do. So then I am going to start to build to build trust. The other thing you can do with a micromanager is give them start to go look and you don't want to be a jerk about this but if Echo says, "Hey, I need to review this. I need to review the steps that you're going to take." So what I do is before I Show up. I go, hey Echo. I brought this list to you. This is exactly the steps I want to show you. I wrote them out, so I, you know, I, I know that you're pretty particular about how you want this done, and you're going to come and watch me. But so you can follow along, and you know exactly what I'm doing. I made this list. Here's the 13 steps I'm going to follow up for this procedure. I just wanted to clear that with you. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm doing there? Yeah, you see what I'm doing? <laughs> I'm making you think. Dang, Jocko's even more freaking squared away than I am. <laughs> so I'm going to increase that trust level. So that's what this game. That's what this game becomes. How do you increase the trust level up the chain of command? Do exactly what they're telling you to do. Do it a little, the only stray you make is you do it a little bit earlier. You get it done on time. And this falls into, all this falls into the the quadrangle that I've been talking about for the last probably six months. Trust, listen, respect, and influence. Trust, listen, respect, and influence. We want people to trust us. We want people to listen to us. We want people to respect us. We want to be able to influence people. And the reason these things are all related, first of all, they're all related for, here's the primary reason they're all related. When you put those four things together, that's what forms a little thing called relationships. If you don't trust me, we don't have a relationship. If you don't listen to me, we don't have a relationship. If if I don't listen to you, we don't have a relationship. If, If you don't respect me, we don't have a relationship. If I don't respect you, we don't have a relationship. If you if you don't get influenced by me at all or if I don't influence you at all, we don't have a relationship. Mm-hmm. So these four things combined together is how you get a relationship. Relationship is what we're trying to build inside of a team. Mm-hmm. That's what we're trying to build inside of a team. So we have trust, listen, respect, and influence, but here's the deal, how do you get those things? Because that's what we want, right? I want you to trust me, I want you to listen to me, I want you to respect me, I want you to be influenced by me. How do I do that? What I do is I trust you. Hmm. I put trust into you. So when you tell me to do something, I trust that you're telling me the best way to do it, and I'm gonna do it that way. How do I get you to listen to me? I listen to what you have to say. When you say, Jocko, I need to see what these 13 steps are, I go, hey, got it, boss, let me, let me put those together for you. I listen to you. Hmm. I treat you with respect. Got it, boss, sounds good. I don't say, I could do this way better than you. Hmm. No, I treat you with respect, And then I allow you to influence me so when I allow you to influence me you will become more open-minded to being influenced by me when I treat you with respect you will start to treat me with respect when I listen to you you will start to listen to me when I trust you you will start to trust me that's what we're doing You look puzzled by this.
1: No, I'm doing the exact same thing as it was before. Taking inventory of. Okay, so you know we're we're married, right? Not all of us, but let's say. Well, we are not
0: married, but we, you and I are both married to two separate <laughs> right, individuals, right, not to each other. Yes, <laughs> that
1: is correct. Uh, and there, and I'm sure this is the case for you too, where you, your wife or our wives run and manage oversee certain elements of the whole operation that we simply don't. Mm-hmm. So sometimes my wife enlists me to help in certain ways and my wife likes things to go the way she wants them to go, mm-hmm. we'll say. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say she's a micromanager. I'm not going to say that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not on this no, situation. not in this net. <laughs> not not in the clear. Net.
0: I'm not going to say that. But And I certainly wouldn't agree to that. <laughs> I would protest that strongly.
1: <laughs> yes. But let's just say she likes things done the way mm-hmm. she wants, right? Um, and I need to, yeah, I need to, like, be conscious of this. Yep. So a lot of times I just, because, okay, and you, you pointed this out early on, and I just see it play out all, all the time, and guys will get frustrated. When I say guys, I mean me and certain other people that I'll see, right, where if someone's micromanaging you and you allow that to happen, and I'm not saying don't allow that to happen, but I'm saying if you're just, okay, I'm being micromanaged, um, you start to uh, take less and less initiative, start, you know, you, it's like you don't, like, if you, they ask you to, like, I don't know, mow the lawn or something like that, and they're micromanaging, you're just all, you're going to shut down your whole brain and only listen to them. If they don't say to do something, you simply won't do it, just almost automatically. Okay. Like, you pointed that out earlier, and it's so true. So, like, no one wants to take any action. Yep. Um, no one wants to essentially do anything until told. And then that starts to become like the, the thing. And I found that to be the case
0: a lot of the time. What, with you yeah. and your wife? Yes, yeah, sir. You, she micromanages you to the point. <laughs> wait, let's say hypothetically she was micromanaging you to the point where you didn't even want to take action because you were afraid that you were going to do something wrong.
1: Yes. And it's, I wouldn't say because I was afraid to do something wrong. It's just I just got so used to it. Right. No, that, that's, that definitely really... happens.
0: Now, how does that tie into this question, though?
1: Um, okay. Because so if I keep that, that in mind, that that's the action that I'm going to take. I'm not going to just turn off my brain. The thing is I have, to, I have to get her to a point that she trusts me. Right. Yes. You know? So
0: when she says, hey, when you fill in this paperwork, you need to do A, B, C, D, and E. Mm-hmm. You can't. And then you look at it and you go, well, I could just. Do you know see first and then just you know copy and paste the rest of the way and then And maybe it does make more sense, but she sees you doing it. Yeah, and then she thinks hey, what are you doing? I already told you to do this So you just your trust went down
1: Yeah,
0: and now you can't negotiate because she doesn't trust you where if you went ABCD. Okay, next time ABCD Okay, next time ABCD next time and then you go hey sarah i'm looking at this and i'm thinking all the information by the time i get to see i could just do that one first and copy and paste do you think that would be a good idea you're asking for approval and she trusts you because you've been doing it for a while and you've been doing it accurately and you've been doing it the way that she's been saying and so because you listened to her and you allowed her to influence the way you did it she is going to be more open to listen to you and to have you influence the way the protocol is executed.
1: Yeah, and it's and I'm even listening to you right now, I'm like, okay, so that I see where I'm making the mistake in my thinking.
0: Be, because what you're what you were talking about is look, it's it's definitely a it's a it's a subject of micromanagement, right? If you have a team and you micromanage them, they're gonna freeze up and they're only gonna do when you tell them to do something. Yeah. That, that is a definite that that is what happens. But see that's a little bit what you're talking about is well, what this guy's question is, he wants to wants to make things happen, but he feels like he can't do it. Right. So he's not even to the point yet where he's been beat down to where he's, uh, hey, look, and he kind of says it. He says, I don't know how to proceed besides keeping my head down and ignoring demissive, dismissive or demeaning comments. See, so now right there, what's happening? That part of the question I didn't really address. Now you're getting a little bit of disrespect going, right? You're being disrespected. So how do you handle when you're being disrespected? What you do is you you treat people with respect. Mm -hmm. You say, you know, what's the classic freaking? um, uh, Going back to your your experience as a bouncer, you know, you bump into me and I give you a gnarly look and you know, like, what are you doing? And you you know, but we kind of get separated Mm -hmm. and then later on you go, hey man, I got your beer, man. Sorry for bumping into you. Yeah. And then what do I do? I go. Hey man, all good. You know what I'm saying? There's yeah. a really good chance that that's you treat me with respect, I'll give you respect back. Right. So that's what that's what happens to happen here now. It might it's a little less dynamic because I'm being a jerk or whatever, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm being a jerk as a boss. That's not good. Mm-hmm. So you you treat people with respect, they'll start to treat you with respect and you have to put your ego in check to do that cuz when yeah. you bump into me, I'm like, dude, I want to fight that guy. Yeah. When you give me a dirty look, I want to fight. You know, we want to fight. So for me to say, hey, man, sorry I bumped into you later. Here's a beer. My bust.
1: Yeah. yeah, when you do it genuinely, obviously, because that's what being respectful means. It's Yeah, it's effective. I don't know if it's because it's this or it's just part of how it is. The It's effective when it's not natural to do that, you know, where it's like there's this natural escalation. I step on your foot. You get mad. And then like step on mine back, and I'm like, "Hey, I didn't mean to do it." Boom! Now I did, and now we're fighting or whatever. <laughs> like that's a natural escalation, but to subvert your ego, and that's not natural. You got to put effort into that. So when you do do that, it's kind of like, oh, it, it basically like puts out the fire. De escalation. You know? But it's not. You you got to put in that extra effort, kind of thing. That's yeah, why it's not. You natural.
0: have to subordinate your ego. Yeah. You have to get control of your ego. Yeah. That's what you have to do. All right, so that's it, man. Um, build that trust, listen to them, respect them, let them influence you, and you'll start to turn this around over time. If it doesn't start to turn around over time, then there's a, the next protocol. And what's interesting about this is if you have that boss that's such an egomaniac, you still follow the same protocol. You still, you have to try a little bit harder to work, give them a little bit more of a, a ego massage, but you're still gonna do the same thing. Listen, trust. Respect let them influence you. That's what you're going to do to move this relationship forward so that you can get more So you can get more leeway in how you're operating mm. To all right
1: next question next question a theme that is often discussed on the podcast is checking your ego Forgive me if I have missed the answer to this question previously the question is although I understand the tr- strategic benefits of checking my ego I also believe that there's a certain continuum that exists of when owning my actions and maybe being egotistical might prove beneficial? This is a two-part question, as there are certain scenarios that have arose in my professional career where I felt it was to my detriment that I checked my ego. The first, do you have an example of the threshold of bullshit you'll take, you'll take checking your ego? The second, when does ego strategically benefit you, if at all?
0: Well, yeah, this uh, clearly a continuum exists for sure. That's why we wrote the dichotomy of leadership There's all kinds of continuums inside leadership and one of them is one of them is the ego so let's 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 go to the second question first and I kind of misread these questions when I originally read them I thought he was talking about the ownership aspect, but the second question: When does the ego strategically benefit you, if at all? Well, that happens all the time. That happens all the time. If if you are going to um, if you are going to be in a wrestling match and you're you you let your ego get a little bit stronger, you're like, hey. You're going into a tough match and you're like, I got this. I can do this, right? Like it's, if you're going there, man, this guy's going to beat me down. This guy looks so strong. If that's how you're going into the match, that is going to hurt your performance.
1: Yeah.
0: You can't go into that match thinking, I don't have what it takes to beat this guy. No, you got to be like, hey, look at that. I see he's looking a little soft over there. I've, I've been training hard. I'm ready to rock and roll. I'm going to bring it. Yeah, That can happen when you're pitching a, a plan to your boss. If, you ha- if you're if you thinking, oh, I'm never gonna get this right. My boss is never gonna buy into my plan. Mm. Guess what? That's gonna come across. Mm. If you have a situation where the team is is nervous about something. Team's all nervous. The team's scared to do something. And you guys go, oh, I'm not sure how this is gonna go, guys, but we, we don't really have a choice, right? <laughs> That's not yeah. gonna help the team. But if you go in there, you assess the situation, go, okay, cool, we got this. The plan is tough, but we can make it happen. So those are plenty of times where... Your ego benefits you. Not to mention, your ego benefits you that you want to win, right? I, I, we talk about checking the ego because the ego gets you in trouble. But as long as you have it under control, you it makes you work hard. It makes you want to win. It makes you wanna. It makes you want to come in first place. It may, gives you pride in what you're doing. All those things are totally positive. If 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 you didn't have an ego, then you wouldn't care. Hey, you gonna? Are you gonna? <laughs> Hey, are you gonna work out today? No. Why not? I don't care. I don't care what kind of physical condition I am. I don't care what I look like. I don't care what my health is. Mm. I have no ego. Okay. Is that beneficial? Hey, did you do your uh, did you do your sales calls today? Well, no. Why? Well, because I don't care if I sell anything. Mm. Oh, did you study for your test that you have tomorrow in school? No. Why? Because I don't care what my grade is. Mm. So isn't it good to have an ego that says, hey, I'm going to study hard. I'm going to work hard to get a good grade on this test because I want to be number one in the class.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's all. There's, a, there's countless, countless situations. Where is the ego get out of control is where is the problem. I'll tell you where. Go back to the wrestling example. Hey, I'm so good at wrestling, I don't even need to train in the offseason because I'm so awesome. Yeah. What's going to happen when the season hits? you're going to get crushed by some kid that was training freaking hard. Mm-hmm. Hey, we don't need to rehearse for this pitch to the boss because our plan's so awesome, he's just going to buy into it. Is that going to help you? No, you're arrogant, you're overconfident. Mm. Uh, you know, need I go on? That's what it is. So what was the first question? Do you oh, have an the- example of the threshold of bullshit you will take checking your ego? <laughs> yeah, I mean absolutely. Um but i don't know that i i don't know that i could uh, draw a line in the sand of hey here's where if you do this i'm going to stop you um you know if someone's going to start feels like it depends a lot on like what
1: what's what's bullshit cuz like even that it's like even yeah. you to say what where's the threshold i can only take so much of your bullshit yep. right like are mm, you looking at me like that yeah you right. know where where what what's the bullshit you know like it, why cuz they're correcting you a lot yeah well usually if you're getting corrected a lot that means you might be making a lot of mistakes <laughs> again speaking from my experience in my family with my wife so it <laughs> And I'll, and I'll think that a lot of the time, too. Like, every once in a while, I'll, I'll think, like, hey, like, is this person, and I'm not necessarily saying my wife here, but anyone, where it's like, hmm, I, I, I would never talk to you like that. I would never use that tone with you, like, ever. Mm-hmm. Like, not you, Jocko, yeah. but I'm just saying the other person. Um, meanwhile, you're using this tone with me every single day almost, you know? kind of a thing, if that's your boss or something like that. So that to me could be like, man, how much of this tone am I going to take? But if you, if I don't think of like, which, what you would always say, or do always say, where you have to, when you consider like the overall goal, like, what do you want out of this right here, out of this relationship with this boss or your, you know, whoever, do you want, is your primary goal, if your overall goal, is it to not get talked to like that or to express yourself now that you're angry that you got talked to because usually that's a lot of time when the quote unquote ego comes in i'm saying in my experience when i want to be like when i feel this how much of this bullshit am i going to take you know Mm -hmm. at some point i'm going to let her know or let this person know you know like hey you can't talk to me like that you know i'm kind of tired of you you talking to me like this or whatever but to me that when you really think about it that's not that's not bullshit it's like, if you think of it in terms of, hey, you're talking to me like this for a reason, and then you start with, oh, okay, what? Do, and then I'm just saying, this is what I did, how I thought, or be like, hey, what am I doing? What am I doing to make this person talk to me this way? And then when I did that, I start to find all these little things. Hey, if I just change this, this, and this, I probably won't get talked to like that ever. So I don't have to reach any threshold mm-hmm. because it's not really bullshit, you know?
0: Yeah. So here's a couple things that I was thinking as you were talking. Uh, number one is whatever this other individual d- is doing, is it negatively impacting the mission? Right. So if if you're my boss, Echo, and you come in and you're like, hey, hey, Jocko, this is another unsat plan from you. It's ridiculous. You don't know what you're doing. And you say that in front of everybody and it dim- it undermines my credibility. That, that's not good right now like you said it there's probably some mistakes i'm making so mm-hmm. i need to go to you and say hey boss here's what's going on man i can you pull me aside when you, you know when you want to really jump down my throat like that because i i still got to go back and work with the troops and if they're lo- looking at me thinking i'm an idiot that that's going to be rough for me and look i acted like an idiot i got it the plan i presented wasn't good mm-hmm. but i just want to i just want to get the right information to you and i want to learn from you so that i can move forward so so, so could that be considered bullshit that you came down and yelled at me? Yes, it could. Does Is that appropriate? No, it's not. Especially if it's going to negatively impact the mission. So there's a there's a situation where I might be like, okay. But to your point, I wouldn't say don't talk to me like that. Right. I'd say, hey, listen, I know that I presented you with a bad plan. Next time, can you help me? Because when when you're just ripping apart my plan in front of everybody, I'm already having a hard time getting through to the guys and now, now their respect level for me is going down and that's going to hurt our capability to accomplish this mission C- can I get with you beforehand to to get that straight feedback straight from you so that it, it doesn't really make me look like an idiot in front of the guys because I'm trying to build some trust with them and this isn't helping so that's one
1: huh. that's so interesting There.
0: so it's not even
1: and it's almost like so the question kind of breaks down in a, in this way where it's like, how much, how much bullshit are you willing to take? Essentially, it's not about any threshold of stuff that you're willing to take. And after this threshold, you just can't take it anymore. It's not like that's not an applicable question, almost, mm-hmm. because if you look at it like, hey, there, there's no threshold, there's no nothing. If there's a problem with the interest of building relationships, that's the hundred mm-hmm. percent. We'll just say the goal. That's the, the whole that's, that's over. The
0: goal. Yeah, strategic goal.
1: That is the goal. If you go into it like that, oh, yeah, and just start solving problems. So there's no threshold. Hey, if someone's, like, giving you, quote, unquote, bullshit, okay, that's a problem. You solve it with the intention of improving the relationship. That's essentially what you do. And you just treat every everything like that. Essentially, then there will be no threshold. That's
0: what, I mean, yep. that's what it, it seems like. Yep. Now, that's number one. Number two is being on the high ground, right? So when... You roll into a briefing, and you're my boss, and, you, and you, know, you talk down to me. And I sit there and go, Roger that boss, got it. And everybody in the room knows that what you just did was inappropriate, yeah. and it was bad leadership, and, I, and they saw me maintain my cool, and maintain my, my confidence, and my respect level, and I go, Roger that boss, next time I'll, I'll straighten that out. Yeah. Who looks better?
1: <laughs> you know what I'm saying? God, okay. I'm
0: on the high ground all day long and that's gonna lead to number three Which go ahead I, I cut you off a little no bit, no right? no. actually I was cutting you off because of so Because
1: uh, that happened in my experience that exact go. same thing it had nothing to do with me I witnessed it so I was at a shoot video shoot mm-hmm. kind of you know one of these kind of medium bigger ones where there's big equipments and cranes and stuff like this and um, We'll call him the director I'm not going to name his name Mm because he's kind of like people know who he is. But he's like, so there's a protocol, right? And it differs a little bit from like when you do a shoot, right? So you slate, which is clapping it out or, you know, whatever. You slate, and then you say rolling. The camera guys say speed. Some, you know, something, like I said, it differs. It depends on the shoot. But the camera guys were saying speed, meaning like I'm rolling Mm -hmm. essentially and all this stuff. And then once they say speed, that's a, at the end of the day, that's just saying, hey, we're rolling, too. We're good to go here. Everyone's, like, checking off, you know, mm-hmm. checking. So then they say, and then he says action, right? Boom. So one of and we we're t- doing a lot of takes. So one take, he said rolling, and then they slated, it. They say rolling, and then one of the camera guys didn't say speed. I think it was just so mundane that he just didn't. You could tell he's, like, there mm-hmm. doing it or whatever. I even think he, there was a monitor there where you could see, you mm-hmm. know, that he was recording. So the director goes, and then they say action, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, they start- Camera rolling. two,
0: are you rolling? Yep. So
1: he, and it gets worse though, here's oh, the thing. Yeah. So it's in front of everybody, you know, these pictures. And he's like, wait, 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 camera two, are you, are you speeding? You didn't say speed, like what's up? And then he was like, he's like speed, you know, not, he didn't say, oh, sorry, nothing. He was like, okay, speed, kind of like, I got it, cool. He goes speed, and then they say action, and he goes. He yells out. He's like, "That's not my job," to the guy. Kind of like it's not my job to for to say your speed, kind of mm-hmm. a thing, right? And I was like, "That was a that was a bad move right there." And you could tell everyone was like kind of awkward or whatever. and You could tell everyone was like, "Who the hell is this guy, man?" Yeah,
0: where that guy thinks he just came off like a badass. Oh yeah, he got everyone in the room. Just looked at him and went, "You're a freaking loser." How the cameraman responded? He just said, "He
1: just said copy." That's all he yep. said.
0: Just copy. He wasn't yep. like,
1: oh, he didn't say nothing or nothing. He just said copy. Kind of like that was just how, yep. you know, like Ugh. almost like he didn't try to call him out in front of everyone. Yeah. He actually women. took
0: the higher ground.
1: Took the high ground.
0: Yep. Yep. Exactly. man. so high ground when someone comes and tries to be all uh, all uh, demeaning to you and tries to tries to. Uh, what is he What does he say here? I guess that was the last question. Talk about dismissive and demeaning when you go, "Hey Roger, that boss. Got, hey, Roger, that boss got it," and you make you let them roll. And here's the last thing. And this is a little bit of a little bit of a, of a one that may or may not bother somebody. Generally speaking, when when we start feeling that someone's got the big ego and they're offending us, guess what's getting offended. Your ego. Your ego is the thing that's getting offended. And that means that that is a good time to check your ego. And it's the hardest time to check your ego. So so for, um, I have a really high threshold because I realized that almost every response to a, from an egotistical person that you give it reveals your freaking ego. It reveals your lack of confidence and your insecurity as a person to be like, "I gotta defend myself right now." Where I can look at someone, that, someone comes in and says, "You know, hey Jocko you got yeah, uh, what is it? You got um, you know, you got a gap between your front two teeth, you know?" And I go, "Yeah, pretty good one, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like, cool, like whatever." I'm not gonna get offended by that. Or you know, yeah, whatever they're gonna throw at you. Mm-hmm. That hurts your ego, you feel your ego starting to wanna talk back. When you, when you respond, everybody knows, oh, that bothered him. Mm-hmm. That bothered Jocko. That's a sensitive area. Like that, if, you're, if things are bothering you, it's revealed to everybody.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's why when you sit back and you go, eh, cool. Good, yeah, you called it, man. Like that's it. Mm-hmm. We're we're moving forward. Do I have an example of a threshold of bullshit that will take checking your ego? I again, I think it's ninety nine percent of the time. There's very I can't think of examples where I'm like, hold on a minute, I got to put a stop to this person. Yeah, right. I can't think of good examples like that yeah. because you sit there and you listen and you go, this person's making an idiot out of themselves right now. Right. Hey, are you done? Like even that right there is like a little bit of a, it's just just like, okay, got it. Hey, appreciate, appreciate the feedback. Yep. Hey, got it, boss. Yep. Check. And then, yeah. Is there time when your ego helps you? Yeah. All the time, but just don't let it get out of control.
1: Yeah. It's funny. I can't imagine you saying to someone, your boss or your wife, or I don't know anyone saying, like losing your, it's not losing your temper. It's just like, I've had it up to here with the way you talk yeah, to me. Yeah, you know, like yeah, I yeah. can't even imagine that. It's like, man, fuck.
0: I yeah. Gotta, I got to keep that in mind. When you nod, when you look at him, you know, nod nod your head. Yep, Yep. Got it. Yep. And here's the other thing, man. Like you got to think about what that other person's going through, right? First of all, they have an ego. First of all, that, that director who's trying to get this shot done, he's frustrated, he wants a place, if things aren't going right, he's over time, he's over schedule, he's over budget, all those things. And he doesn't have a good control over his over his personality and over his own ego and his, over his own yeah. temperament, and that's obvious. So when they freak out, hey, yep, got it, boss, thanks, uh, copy.
1: Yeah.
0: You know what I mean? Like, don't. They're looking for a reason to blow up. Yeah. Don't give it to them. Yeah. Don't give it to him check next question
1: the current national discussion on policing is correctly calling for correctly calling for an examination about the role law enforcement should play in society however as a result the average officer who had been doing their job the way they were told and trained since day one now feel as if they're being blamed for, for doing the very thing they were hired to do further exasperating and and oftentimes already thankless job. As a mid-level manager at a police department, how can I begin to influence the line-level officer to see their role from 30,000-foot perspective so they can recognize that policing is changing and that they're more of an ambassador to the community as opposed to the glorified Hollywood-style cop? And in doing so, not only shape their philosophies, but excite them about it policing is changing and we want to be on the cutting edge of that
0: so education and training is is the answer to what you're talking about that's what we have to do we have to we have to we have to educate and train people um, they have to understand the the big picture and what you also have to do is, You've got to run a campaign. This is a cultural change that's going to be happening, right, in your department and in, in the world. Um, people have to understand what that big picture is. So you want them to see the picture from 30,000 feet, and this just doesn't apply to policing. This applies to anything. Abu Ghraib, right? So the Abu Ghraib story with uh, the mistreatment of the prisoners in the Abu Ghraib prison in Iraq, it was a tactical mistake by a bunch of 18, 19, 20-year-old soldiers that didn't understand the big picture. And and the price that was paid for their behavior was a strategic negative. The Al-Qaeda used that footage all over the world to rally jihadists to come and fight. And it was awful. So we have to explain to our troops that what they're doing can make a strategic negative impact to our job every single day. So we have to understand that what what it is that we're actually trying to do. What are we actually trying to do? We're trying to make people safer. How do we accomplish that? Some of the way that we accomplish that, absolutely. It's what everyone kind of thinks of when they think of cop, right? Going to catch bad guys. No doubt about it. But there's an other, another part of this, and it's the same thing with the SEAL teams. Guess what we do in the SEAL teams? Capture bad guys. Guess what else we had to do? We had to go out and build relationships with the local populace. Guess what you need to do in the policing community? Go out and build re- relationships with the local populace. Community interactions. That's what we need to do. And here's another thing. What you're talking about Okay, I talked about education. I talked about training You need to start shifting those so that it educates and trains people on what I'm talking about on top of that You have to There has to be a cultural shift inside your organization Which is easy to say but it's harder to do and people have been asking me a lot. How do you do that? How do you make a cultural change inside your organization the way that you make a cultural change inside of your organization? Is you have to start telling the story you have to start telling the story of what works and what doesn't work and why it works. And you have, to, you have to lift up the heroes inside your organization. The people that did the right thing, how it worked out, where it benefited the community, where it benefited police officers. The, we did a couple podcasts on here about the Marine Corps book called The Squad Leader Makes a Difference. And they explained in that book what it is they held up as the proper way for a frontline, what'd you say, a frontline officer, a line level officer, they raised up exactly these stories to show how we want these individuals to behave. And they called it the squad leader makes a difference. So here, the line level officer makes a difference. Put that story together. Put those, guess what? It's now 2021. Make those videos. Put those training tapes together. Show that story over and over again so people start to understand what the ideal is because the ideal has changed. And we have to be better. We can't just kick doors anymore. We can't just do that. That's an easier job. And the SEAL teams, believe me, it's a lot easier to go kick a door and clear a building than it is to go out and do a tribal engagement with tribal leaders and build relationships, that's a much more difficult job. We have to be better. So it's education, it's training, it's telling the story so that you can start getting the culture moved in the right direction. The other thing you have to be careful of is that you don't separate yourself. Right? So you're, if you go to 30,000 feet and you're alone, you're alone. If you're up there talking from the, from the high ground about, well, you know, you just don't understand it, Echo. You don't know you're a line level officer. You don't know what it means strategically. How much how much buy-in are you going to get from what I'm saying? You're not going to get any. So, I can't separate myself. I can't go so far up to altitude. I can't in order to influence the pack, you have to be a part of the pack. So, that means you need to get down there and make sure that you're with them and that you build relationships with them so they actually listen to you. If you're sitting up in the ivory tower saying, you don't even understand what policing needs to change to. If you're up in the ivory tower, you're not getting listened to on the front lines. I, I was very lucky because I was a young, I was an enlisted guy, became an officer. I was lucky enough to have combat experience. So when I would say to someone, hey, this is what we need to think about, they'd go, okay, well, he knows what we go through. You, If you go up in the ivory tower, it's not going to work. You don't change things from an ivory tower. You might think you are but it's not actually functional. You might be be telling the best story from the ivory tower, you're so far up no one can hear it. You need to get down. So as you do this education, as you do this training, as you start to impact the culture by telling the right stories, you need to do it from their level. You can't elevate yourself where they can't hear you anymore and they don't relate to you. You need to be relatable. You need to have relationships, relationships relatable. And the last thing I'll say is this, this is not going to be an overnight thing. This is a long war. This is a campaign. This is going to take years. You can't change hundreds of years of police attitude today or tomorrow. There's gonna be some people that are so embedded in the way they've been operating, they've been doing it for 28 years, they're barely gonna change. They're gonna retire before they change. You might get them to change a little bit. How, here's another thing to think about. How can you plant the seeds and let these changes become their ideas? That's the best way. If you can plant seeds in their heads and say, hey, we're, you know, do you, what do you think about working with the community? How does that work out? And they start telling you sometimes where it worked. And you capture those. And you say, wow, that's awesome. I didn't know that. And you, now here's the thing, your ego is going to want to take credit. Well, you know, I, I was, I did, I, I put together a course on uh, community policing and how to build relationships inside the community. I want that credit, <laughs> right? It's much better to say, hey, Echo, husband, you know, I noticed you, you're out doing a lot of patrolling and you and you spend a lot of time in this community over here. Do you talk to people out there? And you're like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, can I come and film some of that? I think it'd be good training for other people to see how good you are. And then i don't put a preface. Of, I talked to Echo Charles about the best way to pull police, and it's in line with the things that I have in my mind. No. we got frontline people that are changing the way they're doing business. Let's share best practices. Let's tell that story. So a bunch of things to think about there. It's going to be a long war. It's okay. There's, that's the way it works. That's the way it works. You, you may fight your ass off to get a two degree change in somebody. Cool. You got change. Other people are gonna be more open to it. By the way, if you hit people with these ideas, if you punch them in the face with these new ideas, they're gonna shut up. They're gonna shut down, I should say. They're gonna shut down to your ideas. So going back to the earlier question, you have to listen to them to get them to listen to you. You have to treat them with respect and respect their ideas so that they respect your ideas. You have to allow them to influence what you're saying so that you can influence what they're thinking. And you have to trust what's happening so that you can build mutual trust so you can actually have a conversation, a relationship. It's okay. And right on. I'm glad you're out there. I'm glad you have the attitude and you're moving it forward. Cause it's really easy to sit back, for anybody it's really easy to sit back and say, oh this is new, we're not doing it that way. You know what it's like down here. We've been doing this for so long we don't need to change. Actually, wrong attitude. How can we get better? How can we get better? And that's what you're asking. Appreciate your service. What do we got time for? One more?
1: One more. Something I've been curious about is what does it look like to cover and move between a husband and a wife? Thanks for everything you guys
0: do. I mean, this is a... There's all kinds of examples for this. And and actually, without cover and move inside of a marriage, it's going to be hard for a marriage to even work. Uh, what does it look like? It looks like one's working and one's, the you know, the stay-at-home, right? Uh, the working wife and the stay-at-home dad or the working husband and the stay-at-home mom. Like, that's one thing. Then if both parents are working, guess what? We're cover and moving on all kinds of stuff. I'll go to the grocery store. You get the kids from wrestling practice. I'll clean the house. You mow the lawn, right? It's literally everything that you do. You know where else it is? I'm having a bad day. My wife's having a bad day. What do I say? Suck it up? No. My wife doesn't feel good or she's frustrated or whatever. Suck it up. You don't know what it's like. No. It's like, guess what? Cool. Hey, I got it. Let let me, let me, I'm going to take the kids to the zoo for a few hours, for four hours. You go freaking relax. That's cover and move. So cover and move is really what you have to do in any team and certainly inside of a marriage which is a team. Here's the thing, you can't expect. You can't expect payback, right? You, you don't make sacrifices and I, I've been talking about this a lot uh, on EF Online. You can't make sacrifices before payback, right? It's the Cain and Abel thing. It's Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel made sacrifices to God And when Cain's sacrifices weren't appreciated, he was freaking pissed off, and he killed his brother because of it. So when you when you you know go to the store and pick up groceries, and your wife doesn't give you accolades when you come through the door, you can't be mad about it. Mm. (laughs) You know, you can't be mad about it. And when you when you've been away working hard, you know I'm over in Iraq. And there's a freaking war going on, literally. And I get home, and and my wife, guess what? She's not like, oh, thank you so much for your service. She's not thinking that. She's like, okay, I got a checklist of things for you to do: water heater, you know, <laughs> uh, weeding, water. and the, like all these things. She's got stuff for me to do. She's not. And if I come home, you don't know what I've been through. I can't. I'm not going on deployment so I can get accolades and praise from my wife. And my wife, same thing. You know, when my wife, and I got home and dinner's made, if, she, if, if I don't happen to say thank you because I'm busy or I'm thinking about something else, she's not like, you didn't even say thank you for this dinner. Should I say thank you? Yes, I did. But she's not, she's not waiting for me to say that. And she's not expecting this praise because she did something for me. So when you do something, you do it for the good of the team. That's why you do it. That's what cover move is, by the way. Cover move isn't, hey, I'm going to take care of Echo so Echo will take care of me. Mm-hmm. It's I'm going to take care of Echo because he's part of my team and we want to win. And you may never have a chance to take care of me. It may, may never happen. You don't have to say thank you to me. You don't have to do any of that. I'm doing this to help you. We're part of the same team. Same thing with marriage. You know, I'm doing this for the team. You don't have to say thank you. It's nice. I appreciate it. Great. Mm-hmm. But if that's why you're doing it, if you give your wife flowers in order to get to be able to go to watch the UFC with your bros, <laughs> yeah. is that the same intent? No. You yeah. give your wife flowers because you're giving your wife flowers. Yeah. That's what you're doing. I remember one time, there was like something was going on in Iraq or Afghanistan. I, was, I wasn't there. I was home. And it was like something happened. I think guys got wounded or something. And I was kind of thinking about that. And I got home and I'm like sitting there looking at something and getting a couple text messages. And all of a sudden, my wife goes, like, like oh my God. You know, and she, and it actually, it was more like, it was like, oh my God. It was like the most horrible, you know, she's British. So mm-hmm. something horrible must have just happened. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I was like, oh, what's going on? And she's like, but, but the Disney on Ice is the same night as the Wiggles. And I have tickets for both. And brutal. And, you know, it was in my mind, I'm thinking, are you serious right now? Mm-hmm. But she's living in a different world. Like, that's was important to her. Mm-hmm. And she was frustrated that she had booked these things, whatever. Like, for me to say, are you serious? That's that's meaningless. It's like, yeah. no. She's doing the best she can with her thing at that moment. I'm over here doing the best thing with I can with the moment that I'm in. Mm-hmm. So we're in a different world. Our world's... I don't. I don't try and overlay my world on her world. Yeah. Don't try and overlay your world on your on your spouse's world. I don't recommend that. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you you can't talk about it, but to draw comparisons, right? My work is more important than your. My thing is more important than your thing. Yeah, that's not a good call. Whew. That's a.
1: Yeah, that's a. I th- I feel like that right there is probably underappreciated as far as the impact that is. Like my
0: work is more important than your work. Ooh, that's like, yeah. <laughs> that's like, uh, what, what do you call it? toxic? Yeah, not that's only is it toxic, toxic, it's not true. Like your yeah. your husband, if you're if you got a stay at home husband and you're the one doing all the work, yeah. that that dude is bringing up the kids. If you got a stay at home, if you're a stay home a wife, that woman is bringing up your kids. Oh yeah. And that's the most important job. It's, way it's, more important than your job, by the way. Yeah. I don't care if you're the president of the United States. <laughs> I know, bro. Because you
1: can kind of, and I'm not saying you should or nothing like that. I'm just saying like nuts to nuts. You can get a different job.
0: True. Technically. Yeah, yeah. It, but she's kind of like, saddled with right, that she job. She kind of has to do that job. Like that job has to be done, yeah. you know? And the consequences of screwing up that job are way more way massive bigger. than any other thing that you make, you make a mistake in your job. Yeah. So, yes. Marriage is Cover and move. That's what it is.
1: I'm not against the whole buying flowers so you can go watch USC with your bros thing.
0: But here's the thing. and, and If that's your intent, that's it your doesn't whole even jam. work, bro. The it's fi- make, make my wife more mad. Now, I'm yeah. notorious for not getting my wife flowers ever. So when you do it, it's more impactful? Yeah, <laughs> I, joking, I guess so. But. I guess so, but... If I was to happen to get my wife flowers, and then I was to happen to say, and by the way, I'm going over to Echoes to watch the fights tonight, yeah. she would be like, oh, okay, cool. You yeah. loser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She would see right through this. Yeah, fully.
1: And and not everyone's like that, you know, for sure. Here, here's what I think with the flowers thing, because I think that's a th- – this is nothing new. We've, we've heard about this. It's like it's on movies and stuff, you know, like you do something bad, you get her flowers, boom, you're all mm-hmm. good. Or you want to do something later, you get her flowers, and you a good, then you can do the thing. And it's kind of – Unless you're doing it to, like, manipulate her or something for some bad reason or whatever. Like, I'm actually kind of for it. But at the end of the day, that's not a cover and move scenario. No. That's just you, you know, maneuvering, essentially. But if it's harmless and, you you know, you want to get some quality term, whatever, she yeah. feels okay with it. Like, I'm going <laughs> to
0: say maybe my wife just doesn't buy into that. Like, if my <laughs> intent is to get myself something, that doesn't work.
1: Yeah, and that's and that's a thing, too. I get sure. it.
0: I get it where you, I see where you're coming from. Like, it's still kind of cool, but no. My wife be like, oh, you got this. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. I see where you're coming from.
1: But I think that's just a matter of your wife more so than the actual action or whatever. Because you know how, like...
0: What are you trying to say about my wife,
1: bro? She, she sees through your <laughs> fucking bullshit. That's what I'm saying. But I'm, I'm saying like, yeah, like okay. So I'll give my wife flowers every once in a while. Mm. Hardly ever, but like every once in a while. So if I pulled that, she would actually think it's cute because I don't really just. Uh, that's not. I don't maneuver like that. I'm not got, like she's got you know,
0: a different vibe with you. Yeah, like, she's oh, like, Michael's I see what cute. you're doing, yeah. but he
1: did get me flowers, yeah. and that yeah. isn't you know. So, so it's different, different like that. But that's not covered yeah. move though, really. Yeah. Not in any significant way. We'll say that.
0: No, it's not cover move. Cover move is you do things to support your spouse, not for your own benefit, but for the benefit of the team. Yeah, that's cover move. You need it with marriage.
1: Yeah, and that goes too with uh, like okay, you mentioned the the stay at home mom Mm -hmm. situation where, and there's a lot of that going on now, or has been for the past year or whatever, because of schools, you know, shutting down. Or having to be at home, so somebody got to kind of stay Oh yeah, stay yeah, yeah. Somebody's got to be bit.
0: stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad is more prevalent right now. Yeah, because somebody's got to be with the kids while they're getting home, getting online schooled.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, the, um, so that's that can be a huge challenge right there. So, and then if it's it gets monotonous as well, right? Where you got you don't get any adult interaction, you don't get any of this stuff or whatever. Mm. So you know sometimes on the surface you might be like oh yeah you got it so bad you get to hang out at home while the kid is yeah. you know on zoom and you can you yeah. can watch tv if you want for a lot of the time you know like it's not that hard kind of it's easy mm-hmm. to or it's superficial we'll say to see it like that but it's not like that like it goes pretty deep so to need a break from that is that's an understandable thing so sometimes you know like okay you know your wife or husband how whatever the case may be, uh they want like a vacation or something they want to go with their friend or something for the weekend or something to get away from it all or whatever
0: get Get away from those rug rats
1: exactly (laughs) right that's like that's can be a big deal yeah
0: yeah. to to be
1: like hey yes
0: do that for sure that's cover and move I'll take the kids you go hang out with your friends I know you've been cooped up in the house with them for eight straight weeks go take a weekend and go with your friends somewhere cool
1: Yeah, Yeah. man. agreed Looking, checking in with them, right? Their their mental state. Yep. Yep.
0: Good. All right. Um, I think that's good for today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for supporting the cause. We appreciate it. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen in the world. I mean, there has been some weird things happening in the world. There's people getting cut off, shut down the whole night, shadow banned. I had a guy <laughs> just told me I was shadow banned because he hasn't gotten my feed in, you know, months. Wait, who you were shadow banned? Somebody told me, hey, I just saw this, you're shadow banned because I haven't seen any of your stuff for months or whatever. Yeah. And so I don't know. I don't know what's happening. But I do know this. If we were to sit around and just be like, hey, cool, whatever happens, happens. No, we're making contingency plans. That's what this is. We appreciate you helping us with a contingency plan by supporting the underground. And as always, if you want to get some supplements, you can go to jockofuel.com. If you want jeans, boots, clothes, geese, you can go to originusa.com if you want to get stuff to represent while you're on the path then you can go to JockoStore.com. I've written a bunch of books. You can check out topics of leadership, topics of discipline, and kids' books as well with similar topics. And I have a leadership consulting company called Echelon Front. And if you're interested in that, go to EchelonFront.com. And if you want to find us on the interwebs, Echo's at Echo Charles. I'm at Jocko Willink. And that's all we've got for today. So thank you for joining us in the shadowy world of the underground. And until next time, This is Echo and Jocko, out.